So we have a shotgun on the wall in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. You can use a handgun indoors and certainly is effective, but there's always that chance at close range, especially if you got a big person that's armed coming in to attack you. You don't want to you don't want to trust something small. So, but you keep it unloaded. You have the cartridges by your bed. Yeah, always unloaded in the case of my handgun, which is over behind us in, in my nightstand drawer. I never keep uh, ground in the chamber. But you can get it ready pretty quick if you need to. Absolutely, yeah. Well, you're well defended. <laughs> I won't come wandering in here by a mistake in the middle of the night. I like you, Jack. I won't shoot you. We need a safe word, like... Uh, oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, that's a good safe word. Don't shoot. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the podcast where I load up my bindle with microphones and hop a train across America. This week, I'm couch surfing in Elkhart, Indiana, RV capital of the world. So if my host falls through, maybe I can squat in a motorhome. You're listening to Off the Beaten Jack. All passengers getting off at Elkhart, Indiana. Please look around for all your luggage belongings. Please head on downstairs where you'll see a uniform employee soon arriving in Elkhart, Indiana. It was 7 a.m. and I just spent the night on the train. It was my first real test of sleeping in the cheap seats and my body was paying the price. I'd only managed a couple of hours of rest and was stiff and aching all over. But sitting in the cafe car, on the upper deck, watching the sunrise over snowy fields, I felt a deep sense of peace. I had picked my next host, a 22-year-old welder called Evan, based on one line from his profile, which read like an opening to the great American novel. My interests are mostly motivated by my desire to escape my own close-minded culture and learn about life outside my small factory town. Evan was waiting for me in the station car park. Dressed in jeans, a suede jacket and plaid shirt, he could have walked straight out of central casting. We climbed into his Ford Crown Victoria, a sedan with a bonnet as long as the Titanic and a pair of bullhorns attached to the front. Yeah, I found those. Those were a wall decoration, actually. They're flat on the backside for hanging on the wall. <laughs> I just roped them on there with some sisal rope. And after grabbing some breakfast, Evan drove me into town. It used to be a drive-in diner. You can still kind of tell. It's got the sign, the original drive-in sign, but it's covered up. Oh, yeah, I see. That's so symbolic. You might notice talking to me, I even dream about that stuff a lot because as an American, there's this sense that it's kind of in the past. It's There's still the American dream. It's still very much alive, but the glamour of what once was in America is fading that's a beautiful neon sign for that drive-in. They just cover it up with a plaque poster board, basically. As we spent the morning together, it was clear Evan had a great deal of love for his hometown, but it was tinged with a longing to see it return to its glory days. My dad always tells me about how when he was a kid in the 70s, like 1978, they get out of the movie theater from seeing Star Wars and drive down Main Street, just neon lights glowing everywhere. Every restaurant, every store had a neon light. That was here? That was here. It's kind of the common story with a lot of Midwest towns. We did have, I told you about the unemployment rate being really high during the recession. We had some really bad 
opioid problems here. Um, still do. There's still a ton of addiction. Um, it's a real crisis. I've seen people go through it, even that I went to school with, 16-year-olds. Uh, they did the pills because the doctor prescribes them something, Oxycontin or something, and, and they, it goes from there. We continued our tour of the area, stopping in the neighboring town of Goshen to wander down Main Street. There's a little barber shop, old school barber shop. That's one that my dad goes to. And even poke our heads into a local gun shop. It's got a good weight to it. And just when I thought things couldn't get more American, Evan let slip that he owns a vintage pickup truck. Of course he does. So what make is it? It's a Ford. It's a 55 Ford. F100, which is like the small one. And before I knew it, we were on our way to his dad's house. That is a beautiful truck. Thank you. Got a lot of work to go, but it's my baby, 1955. It's got a four-speed. If you're not a car person, you might think this is a pointless detail to include, but I promise it'll be relevant later. Do you mind if we get a picture of you? You're in your suede cowboy jacket, plaid shirt. <laughs> Blue jeans, red truck. I mean, that is the American look. Thanks for showing me. Very, very cool. It had been a full day. We still had a few hours before dinner, so we headed back to Evan's apartment to record our interview. If you hear the odd jingle or mewing in the background, it's Evan's cat Rama, named after the spiritual leader and yoga guru Ram Das. Evan, thanks for having me to stay, firstly. You're so welcome. And secondly, thanks for showing me around today. I've had the kind of tour of Elkhart and the surrounding towns and neighborhoods, and it's felt pretty all-American, if I can use that expression. We've had pickup trucks, we've had gun stores, we've had diners, it's been pretty great, I have to say. Kind of all in one. Yeah. All in one. Trying to show it all to you as much as I can in a day. Your lovely cat is in the corner. He's a wonderful boy. He really is. Very sweet. So this is my first time to Indiana. We're here in Elkhart and... Sorry, Elkhart. You don't Elkhart, say the H. Yeah, the H is silent. Okay, we're in <laughs> so, Elkhart. Yes. I don't really have an image in my head of the Indiana stereotype or what people are supposed to be like from here. You know, certain parts of the country, I think, have that more than others. People think of New Yorkers as being quite short-tempered or impatient. People think of Californians as being kind of laid back and surfing the whole time. What is the stereotype about Indiana? Oh, gosh. And do you think it's fair or not? I think that Midwesterners, there is a bit of a stereotype. One thing that's joked about a lot is that we're so kind and friendly to the point where if we go to a family gathering, when it's time for departure, it's 50 goodbyes before you get out the door. Right. And there's that Midwestern stereotype. And then there's a stereotype that we were born in a cornfield and we're just farmers until the day we die. And that that is a lot of people, a lot of uh, agricultural people and uh, industrious people around here, hardworking people work with their hands type. Mm. Um, and uh, I've learned work ethic from my father. He's we he works on the railroad. He's been working on the railroad his whole life, and it's just kind of something I was I was born around working hard, and you gotta sacrifice your body to make a dollar if that's what it takes. It, 
And there is possibility, there's always the possibility in America to start a small business, to do some kind of business venture and make something of yourself. But it's getting harder. It is getting harder. One thing that's inspiring to me is around Elkhart, there's a really large Mexican population. I'd mentioned this a little bit to you earlier. You'll see a lot of Mexican restaurants and a lot of them are new. There's small businesses. They, people come here, they cross the border into Texas from Mexico. They come here from work and they end up starting a small business. And it's really that work ethic. The American dream is alive. Yeah. It's interesting that earlier we were driving around and you were saying that parts of Elkhart had passed their prime or they, you know, were a little down at the heel. Do you think that's affected the way people think about, you know, America and what it can give them? I hear it a lot from people in my peer groups that uh, they talk badly about this town. They talk badly about Elkhart, myself included. I can talk that badly about this town every now and then because you, you do see those negative aspects of it. You see how Main Street downtown Elkhart is not what it was in the 70s. And like my dad talks to me about how it used to be just beautiful neon lights and everything. And people can focus on those negative aspects of it. And yeah. Do you feel like there's a disconnect between coastal America and I guess this would qualify? Do you think this is middle America? You're pretty close to Chicago, but. I'd say there's disconnect. Yeah. Politics are obviously a tense thing in the U.S. right now. And uh, it becomes not even just. East Coast, West Coast, but like Chicago, you just mentioned, um, big cities versus small towns. Sometimes we don't feel like our voice is heard. There's a lot more people around here that can be Republican, of course, and then the cities are a little more liberal tending. Hmm. Um, and they, it's a clear divide. <laughs> yeah, we don't hear one another out anymore as, as we once did as a nation. Yeah. I think we're so, we were talking about the news because we were just watching the news and I was saying, you know, we largely get fixed in our little bubble and it feeds us more of the same and feeds us more of the opinions we already have. How do you think we go about bringing those, those people together and bridging that gap? Because it does feel very hard to reconcile the two right now. You know, I think... I've never been a, a religious person as far as uh, organized religion, but I think that looking at the models that religions have formed and what they've done for humanity over the course of time, we need to find some something like God, something to unite under that's not politics. There's got to be some higher unifying force, and that's a discussion I think that we need to have as a nation. And... Uh, it's a very emotional topic for me. I think that uh, the concept of love needs to be more radically talked about. What love really is, respect for your fellow man. And I remember even when I was younger, I think the identitarian politics, putting labels on things makes things worse because then you, you start to identify with one thing and you forget to love the other person because they're just like you. When you see you and someone else, then it just crosses that divide. That is the higher unifying power, I think. And um, when I was younger, I had friends of all colors and we never thought anything of it. As we got older and it got around 2014, teenage years, the internet and everything, and suddenly we're identifying ourselves as something different than the other person. 
we need to see ourselves in the other person more. Hmm. It's interesting because when you talk to people that you could have a huge argument with online, often when those people actually come together and talk in person, they have far more in common than they think. And they connect over a lot more. And you can have a really measured conversation, which would otherwise be a screaming match online. And I wonder how much of that is just driven by the fact that we, you know, we don't, you know, connect with people that we have a different opinion with very often. Yeah, I could agree with that. I'm, I've been seeing some of me and you today, getting to know you a little bit, Jack. And it's, I think that especially meeting people from other cultures and realizing, you know, you get so focused in on your small group of people that are around you. And so when someone comes from outside that group and you see similarities, like I go back to that love thing, you start to love that person in a way, like you see yourself in them and it just, it bridges everything. It's, it's powerful. Travel is good for that. Really wonderful for that. It is. And I think what's really interesting, and we touched on this earlier, is that a lot of the nuance gets lost when we talk about ideas or we talk about each other, especially people we might disagree with. And I got thinking about this because we uh, ended up in a gun store mm -hmm. and you ended up showing me the guns you have at home for self-defense. And I feel like a lot of people that maybe aren't on board with guns have this image of people that own guns as being a little bit reckless or a little bit shoot first, ask questions later, that kind of attitude. And you are very grounded, very poised, very thoughtful, very emotionally intelligent and quite spiritual. And that completely clashes with the stereotype. And I wonder how that sits in your mind. Well, to me, it almost hurts on a deep level when, when people would think that stereotype, I know I should not take it personally because I understand it's not my fault. The reason why people think these things, but I, I would never want to hurt somebody. I would only ever carry a gun as many other people do for defense. And even then, if someone broke into my home, I wouldn't just shoot them. I would only want to defend myself or my family members or my cat. My cat's like my son. I would defend him if he was being attacked, but I would only do that if they were armed. Um, tying that in with spirituality, it's just, how could I do that to someone that wasn't trying to do it to me? I know that even people that break in, if they, they do it unarmed, they won't be doing it with negative intentions. Maybe they just, they really need money. You know, they really need to steal my TV to sell it or something. So, yeah, there there is that that balance to it. There's always going to be the negative to it. If you shoot someone, it's a horrible thing. But we have the choice. We do have the choice to keep mindful and to to know when is right and when is wrong. Even what you just said there, you know, there's a lot of compassion in what you just said about if someone's breaking in. You know, it's not necessarily because they're a bad person. They might just be a desperate person that sort of reached the end of their tether. Do you think that's informed by the fact that, you know, you've talked about the crash in 2008 and seeing, you know, in your own community, people struggling, you know, do you think that compassion comes from there? I think that's a little bit of it. There's also, um, 
personal traumas, other personal traumas. Um, my mother passed away when I was younger and, you know, you look at like, I can only explain it through the lens of all the major religions, Eastern religions, Western religions, anything you learn about, there's, there's that idea somewhere in there that from pain and suffering, we transform and we learn to love better. And, uh, I think that going through the recession and drug use was high in town and I was just a kid at the time, but it continues on to this day. There's a lot of drug use. You start to see good people turn bad and you understand that there is no, how do I put this? Well, Solzhenitsyn, there's a Solzhenitsyn quote, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, I think it's like the line between good and evil divides down the heart of every man. and I think you just got to look for the light. That's actually a really moving thing to say. And I was going to suggest, because I'm asking everyone, what can they teach me on this trip? What can I learn from them? I suggested some jokey thing, which was that you would teach me how to hold a gun. (laughs) I can definitely do that. (laughs) I'm sure you can. (laughs) But actually, I, I wonder if there's, that's a more important thing that I can learn really is what you just said. I mean, that's far more truthful. It's a balance because both are equally important. I think you need to, if you're going to want to defend yourself, you're going to need to know how to defend yourself. But if you're going to want to love yourself and love others, you got to know how to do that too. So there's, you know, balance to life. You got to know all of that. You got to have info and yeah, Mm -hmm. the good and the bad. But definitely uh, knowing how to hold a gun properly so you don't blow your shoulder off shooting a double barrel is pretty important because <laughs> I have I have fired both barrels at once before and it'll throw you on your ass. <laughs> uh, well, I'll take you up on that on that lesson later. Um, talking of you know practicing self love, that's a it's quite a difficult thing to do. Often it's very easy to be hard on yourself. Do you? Do you think you've mastered that? Do you get still get down on yourself? Or? Oh, I get down on myself all the time. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever master it. I mean, I don't think the most perfect humans in history have ever been perfect, you know, mm. just nearing it. Um, there's always room for improvement. And everything happens in the moment too. So you might be a perfectly kind, happy person one day, and then you stop paying attention because you think you're a kind and happy person. And then the next day you go and hit your dog or something. <laughs> right. And you think, I can't be a bad person. I, you know, yeah. 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 You got to mindfulness. Yeah. That's where spirituality has been really big for me is staying mindful. Just try to be a better person. Even if, even if you know you're being a bad person, acknowledge that. It's okay to accept. And then tell me about your trip because you're planning to go to Northern Ireland. Yeah. I wanted to get out and see the world more and uh, then... At that time during COVID, I also got into the Ancestry.com stuff, looking into my family history. And uh, I learned about not just that, but the the cultural history of Northern Ireland a little bit and uh, the historical conflicts up there. So I'm really interested to understand that point of view as a person who is a descendant of the immigrants that fled it. I want to see what it's like for the people that stayed and I want to meet those people. So I'm going to be traveling out to Belfast, County Antrim and Londonderry, Ballycastle, Bushmills. Yeah. 
I have to say, I mean, you're what, 22? Is that right? 20, 22, yeah. 22. And you do seem very wise beyond your years. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to ever put that label on myself, but I do appreciate you saying it. Yeah. I mean, I know people twice your age who aren't anywhere near as wise or have the self-awareness you do. So I'm very impressed. And I'm, I'm very grateful as well that you decided to host me because... You're very new to it. In fact, you're brand new to it, right? Brand new. You're my first person that's ever stayed here. And how am I doing so far? You're <laughs> really good. <laughs> yeah, you're not a you're not a bad person. I'm not worried that you're gonna. I don't have to shoot you tonight. <laughs> yeah, it would really break my heart if I had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it would break my uh, break my family's heart too. <laughs> yeah, so. it certainly would. <laughs> um, no, well, thank you. I'm I'm very grateful. You're welcome. Well, should we go get some Amish food? I think that sounds pretty good. All right. Yeah, I'm going to go out for an Amish dinner at Das Dutchman Essen House. Okay. A German word. The, the Amish migrated over from the Germanic areas of Europe. Typical American story to get their own freedom, to get away from religious prosecution and whatnot. They're an amazing community of people, really hardworking, really unique, and excellent cooks. Mm. <laughs> I feel like they're another group that get this stereotype unfairly. Mm. Most people think probably just think in the context of they don't like technology. Mm. And that's probably what most people think about them and that's it. And that seems very unfair. There's other little stereotypes too. And it's that being outside the community, people would rather make those stereotypes to joke about it, to make themselves feel better. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it just comes back to that same thing of a lack of understanding and just yeah. trying to paint with broad brushstrokes and not bothering to get to know people. Yeah, exactly. It, it is a little bit more difficult actually around here to get to know the Amish people just because they are um, a little more exclusionary. They, they exclude themselves a little bit. They are kind of isolated in a sense. So you have to make the effort. To, to go talk to them, to go talk to some Amish guy. Maybe he's a woodworker or maybe he's just the guy that is putting the new windshield in your car because they do simple services like that and they do a really good job. Like I said, some of the hardest working people around here. Speaking of cars, we have looked at some pretty awesome rides today. I've seen, okay, let's list the cars. We've got your car that is your kind of everyday run around which is a ford it's a 98 ford crown victoria and it is a it's not a real police interceptor but it's got it looks like one of the cop cars typical cop car it, it really does it i keep saying i feel like we should be in a stakeout whenever we pull up somewhere we then went to see the truck you have which is a 55 f100 yes ford f100 in red of course very red <laughs> Which was very touching because you said your mom had left that to you after well, she died. It is a little more complicated story. It was an inheritance, some uh, some of money I ended up getting through her passing, and it went towards the truck. Yeah, mm. yeah. So I do consider it because of that the only thing she really left me, other than memories and photos, mm. which in a way is probably more valuable. But as far as material things, it's something with this truck. I've used it almost as a tool at times when I was younger, getting through that suffering. I'd, I'd pour myself into my work and always want to learn more about how the truck worked, how to fix the truck, 
how to restore the truck and make it as beautiful as it once was in 1955. And that's a real tool. It's been a tool for me. Yeah. It's very moving and it's a wonderful tribute to your mom. Thank you. I'm getting pretty hungry. It's that time. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Thanks so much for hosting me. Thanks so much for having me. And it's a real pleasure to meet you. You're welcome, Jack. We went out to enjoy our Amish dinner, but as we were driving back from the restaurant, bonding over country music, Evan said something which had been on his mind. Something he didn't include in our interview, which he wanted to add. So when we got back to his place, we sat back down to record for a few more minutes. So on the way back from the restaurant, you mentioned something in the car which uh, was relevant to what we were talking about earlier about guns. Yeah, so uh, I want to mention it first. I chose not to include it because uh, it's the type of thing that people might be a little judgmental of, but it is an important part of the story to understand this. Uh, my mother, I mentioned she passed away, and the way that she passed away was she was murdered by gunshot. I tend to not tell people about that just because it draws attention to me. And there's, like I said, there's the judgmental people that look at you like you're trying to get attention. And it's just, it's important to know that it didn't change my stance on guns at all. Most people, they might make a personal connection to that. Like guns are bad. No, my mom died by gunshot. Oh, got to get rid of guns. But for me, I started to see that it was the man who killed my mom and the, the actions he chose to take that made him do that. It, was, it had nothing to do with the guns. And I think that's a, that's a very significant argument in America today is the gun rights thing. And to someone that would say in response to that, if he hadn't had a gun, that might have changed things. Does that mean anything to you or do you? The guy was psychotic. And there's no other way to put it. And uh, people like that, they're going to want to kill whether they have a gun or not. He probably would have stabbed my mom or he would have strangled her. And maybe he would have failed and it would have been horribly brutal. And, you know, murderers are murderers. That's what they are. Losing a parent at any point in any way is awful. Losing it at such a young age. How old were you? You were 13. I just turned 13. It's especially awful. I'm I'm just really sorry. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. You know what? I'm out on the other side of it now. It It's, uh, you got to see the darkness to appreciate the light, <laughs> to put it poetically, I guess. <laughs> Um, there's so many beautiful things in this world. You came over here to see Elkhart and, and we both got the opportunity today to, to learn new things about one another and to learn new things about two different places that we're not familiar with. And it's just, there's always things to look forward to. Don't focus on the negative. <laughs> well, I hope I can return the hospitality one day. If you make it over because you're a, you're a special soul and, uh, yeah, I'd like to return that if I can. I appreciate that. You know, I'd be happy to meet you again, stay with you if I ever go over to London or whatever. Sounds like a plan. You're a lifelong friend now. Absolutely. 
it's funny people that I've met through this and I know you're new to the site, but like I met a girl about five or six years ago and I ended up going to her wedding and that was in another country. Wow. I'm still in touch with her. So you, you really do make these connections that can last a lifetime. So I'm, I look forward to wherever our friendship will go. Mm. Always stay in touch. I'll, if you ever have anything you're wanting to know more about Indiana or you're coming back through, then yeah, lifelong friends. Evan is an early riser, so the next morning I got up with him at four and he dropped me at the McDonald's near the station for some breakfast before I headed for the early train. Throughout this series, you'll have heard me touch on stereotypes. It's an area which interests me because there's often some basis for them, some kernel of truth they're grounded in, but there's also an enormous amount of nuance and gray area which gets left out. Think back to the start of this episode to when you heard Evan with his blended Indiana, West Virginia, and Tennessee accent describing the shotgun he keeps on one side of the bed and the pistol he keeps on the other. How much did you think you'd have in common? Who were you picturing? I'm willing to bet it wasn't someone who practices mindfulness, quotes Solzhenitsyn, and named his cat after a spiritual leader and yoga guru. And what about now you've heard his story and his views on loving each other? On paper, would Anne and JD from episode four have much in common with Evan? Probably not, but all three are deeply spiritual people and lead their lives with very similar philosophies. Consider that next time you're about to write someone off, because everyone has a story, and almost always there is more that bonds us than divides us. Off the Beaten Jack is produced and presented by me, Jack Boswell. This week's episode was recorded in Elkhart with special thanks to my host, Evan. Theme music by Simon Boswell with additional music by the Caffeine Creek Band, courtesy of Pixabay. As always, if you enjoyed this show, new episodes will be recorded and released en route. So please rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.